0: I like to bring women in who most people do not know about because as you said there are numerous uh, (laughs) numerous women around the world throughout the world on every continent in every country that are doing phenomenal phenomenal work that we have we haven't heard of them and that's important to know because you don't need to be a famous person right there's so much the point of the book is that each of us and the, the reason why the book is titled she is me is to show that each of us can do can can accomplish so much by helping others
1: Welcome. To Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating your legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and deep contentment. Zestful Aging podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. To find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my brand new book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Zest, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at JudyBanker.com. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design, no S, and it showcases my fun, comfortable, and zesty polymer earrings. These earrings are fun to make and fun to wear. So check out my new shop, Zestful Design, on Etsy. Well, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, so let's begin. President Obama famously said that if women ruled the world, we'd be in a lot better shape. Our guest today has spent her entire career elevating women's voices and exposing inequalities that exist all over the world. She's worked with the most influential women including Gloria Steinem and Billie Jean King and I am so excited to talk to her today. Uh, Lori Sokol is the Executive Director and Editor-in-Chief of Women's E-News, an award-winning nonprofit news organization that reports on the most crucial issues impacting women and girls around the world. She's also the author of the award-winning book, She Is Me, How Women Will Save the World. Welcome to the show, Lori.
0: Thank you, Nicole. It's really a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm so excited to talk to you. We were talking off mic about I'm green with jealousy that you got to hang out with Billie Jean King for a little while. I mean, I guess everyone has their fandom, right? And you've interviewed a lot of, in your book, tremendously brilliant uh, women. But boy, that's the one I would give my right arm. So um, that's that's. uh, That's really special.
0: Well, what's so wonderful about her and uh, every woman in the book, all 30 women that I interviewed, is that even though they may be perceived as icons in society, whether it be Billie Jean King, Gloria Steinem, um, also I interviewed Lima Bowie, who's a Nobel Peace Prize recipient who led the uprising in Liberia um, Mm -hmm. among 27 other amazing women. What... The reason why I chose these women in particular is because as successful as they are, they are also very humble and modest, okay? Because it's not about them, (laughs) it's about their causes, okay? Uh, There are some people who use a cause to uh, expand their own egos and to make a name for themselves, but these women, all 30 of them, it's not about their name it's about the work they are doing and have been dedicating not only their work and their lives to supporting empowering other women and girls
1: it's funny that uh you you started uh started us off this way because as i was reading your book i thought these are some of whom i have to admit i haven't i'm not familiar with and i thought uh, as somebody who interviews a lot, I thought, I wonder how Lori chose these women, because there are a lot of women out there doing tremendous work. And I, I was curious what you used as your, um, you know, h- how you made a decision who to choose. Uh,
0: yes, and that that is the the major reason. Uh, being head of Women's E-News and actually being a journalist for over 30 years, I've met and interviewed many many people women and men and although I and although I wanted to include some big names you know that also always helps attract attention Mm. (laughs) to a book right right? right. Uh, like Gloria Steinem and Billie Jean King etc I always make a point of including whether it be in my book or whether it be we uh, women's news honors 21 leaders for the 21st century every year i like to bring mm-hmm. women in who most people do not know about because as you said there are numerous uh, <laughs> numerous women around the world throughout the world on every continent in every country that are doing phenomenal phenomenal work that we have we haven't heard of them and that's important to know because you don't need to be a famous person, right? There's so much. The point of the book is that each of us, and the, the reason why the book is titled "She Is Me," is to show that each of us can do can can accomplish so much by helping others, whether it be in one's family, which I think is the most crucial and important and long-lasting way to make an impression and to empower people, particularly if you're a parent, whether it be in your community, whether it be at work, whether it be uh, in a more public platform, on stage, not on stage, whether it be volunteering, there are so, so many ways, and it's within all of us, each woman and each man, to uh, be able to create and to help others in all different ways and no way is small you know we started out by saying small ways and big ways now we have to understand that nothing is small by helping one person by making a difference in one person's life uh, is is invaluable really invaluable
1: i saw that sophie polderman's gotten uh recognized by you she was a guest of mine um, the author of seducing and killing nazis and also an attorney who does all kinds of humanitarian work and i was so glad to see you um uh, acknowledge her work
0: she is an example of of what We're just talking about in the Mm -hmm. the book she wrote, "Seducing and Killing Nazis." I read that book and I was blown away by these Mm. three women. And I thought to myself, (sighs) "If I were alive during that time, during World War II, I would just hope that I had the courage Mm. to Mm. do what they did." How many people would have the courage to do that? And so I, I I want, yeah, I want to be able to bring. Not only Sophie's story to light, but their stories to light, because those are true heroes. Mm-hmm. And too often I asked her, you know,
1: how how do you imagine? You know, we, we wrestled with that question, like, can I, I wanna believe that I would do the same thing? And she said, Well, you have to understand these people were coming into her, their town they were invaders Mm -hmm. there was something so uh noxious and and violent about well you know that's an understatement but you know that there was it's hard for us to imagine and put ourselves in that it is
0: but it isn't because if we look at these last four years under Mm. the trump presidency yes okay and people were asked and people were saying now we know how nazi germany could have developed and how those people could have done what they did to murder innocent individuals, mm-hmm. men, women, babies, children. I just talk, How could people have done that? Well, we have to, that's why history is important because we have to learn from history if we're fortunate enough to. So during the Trump presidency, we witnessed mm-hmm. so many people because they belong to marginalized groups whether they be members of the LGBTQ community whether they be Jewish people whether they be people of color women um (laughs) Asian Americans right being Mm -hmm, targeted mm -hmm. targeted because Mm -hmm. of the way they look the color of their skin who they they worship worship. who they worship who they choose to um have as lovers being targeted and even killed we had neo-nazis right marching in the streets yes so emboldened emboldened by him and his supporters and they still are Mm -hmm. so to say how could this have happened oh not not only did it happen but it can happen again and it was happening again and it could still happen again so yes uh yes, yes this is this is why we learn history to hopefully learn from the the evil and the terror that individuals can inflict upon one another,
1: and it's like drip by drip by drip,
0: slowly, slowly but yep. surely. But that well, that's how it's done, and you repeat it, and you repeat it, yep. and you repeat it, which is what you know Hitler did. Um, the first thing a fascist does is call the news media fake news, because then people don't know what to believe. Um, it's, it's fascism 101 and that's exactly what Trump did. He followed, um, fat other fascists, um, rule book. And so therefore any truth that is revealed through journalism, he, he gave people license to say, well, it's fake news, mm-hmm. even if it were true. So then you yeah. don't believe facts anymore. Right. And so here we have covid and you have all these people who are not getting vaccinated because he called it a hoax. Meanwhile he yep. has been vaccinated and yep. th- did it secretly, yep. but of course everyone found out. And now you still have these people who are not being vaccinated and with the Delta um yep. you know, the variant. Right, the yep. variant. Um these are the people who now are most apt to be hospitalized because of COVID and who are dying. Well, what can you say about that? I don't even know what to say about that. You have to really um, look out for yourselves and make the right choices and not believe um, the real fake news, which is uh, politicized. So we can we can get more into that, but I think I'll stop yes. There. Well, I <laughs> think that might be a
1: very lengthy conversation. It would with be great voices and ah, yeah. Yes. It's, it's, yes. Yeah, we. It's, We're living in in such a weird time, Um, Mm. but I want to get back. You mentioned history, and I um, want to ask you about how your personal history Mm -hmm. and your relationship with your dad and your brother, and maybe to a lesser extent, your mom, how did that shape your thinking? You were an athlete, you uh, skipped a grade in school, obviously you were a talented woman and you were a talented girl. How did your experiences growing up, and we'll call it politely a non-validating family, Uh, really move you to do the work you're doing now?
0: Okay. Well, first of all, uh, there's no need to be polite because so many of us experience what I've experienced and we have to call it what it is, which is um, a violently abusive household. Okay, Okay. and that's what it is you know we don't want to put make make light of it
1: no euphemisms no
0: not at all because we need to we're talking about truth and that is that is truth and we can't deal with uh you know issues like that unless we we call it for what it is okay so i think it's important to name it and because i'm sure so many people who are listening to this are also or know of people who are experiencing it and we need to call it what it is because it's only by doing that that we acknowledge uh you know the trauma that exists and then can work on work through that trauma so which i've been doing for decades and i've done a lot of great work with psychotherapists i know you are one as well and uh, it's actually something that never ends and i don't think i think everybody should go through it no matter if you've gone through a violent household, uh, abusive childhood or not, because there are always issues. But to answer your question, I actually say that um, I was the victim of um, of, uh, misogyny uh, when I was still in the womb, and I'll tell you why. Because my name, Lori, and it's spelled L-O-R-I, I was named by my mother, and it was spelled specifically that way because I was born in 1960, and in the 1950s there was a very successful television series called How to Marry a Millionaire, and the main character in the series uh, was named Lori, and it was spelled L-O-R-I, and she figured if she names me Lori and spells it the exact same way, I will then be lucky enough to have the success to marry a millionaire.
1: Mm -hmm. What a way to start. That's the
0: way I started life, or actually even before I started life, and I remember I was, I don't know how old I was, six, seven, or eight, and I asked my mother, well, we were talking about the name and I said, well, what if, um, I, I become the millionaire and then I could marry whoever I want. And she was not pleased. No, that's not how you do it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not Mm -hmm. how you do it. So, uh, yeah. So what you had mentioned that I was, I was fortunate enough to uh, be born with, um, uh, skills in terms of and abilities, intelligence, I taught myself to read when I was, um, you know, four or five years old, because I was very sick as a child. I write about that in my book, the The opening line to the book, which the first mm-hmm. chapter is about me. And yep. the opening line is when I was five, five years old, I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. And of course that is a very compelling sentence because you mm-hmm. think of who, what child at five years old yeah. yes. would be so depressed and uh, to look at the world around her and just want to end it and i did because my world was was really horrible as one therapist said to me i was living an inner holocaust Um, Mm -hmm. my father uh, would uh, was violent was physically abusive uh, if I said the wrong thing, if I stood the wrong way, if I held my head the wrong way, if I held my hands the wrong way. if
1: Chewing that, or something, or breathing. Breathe, something if I breathed the wrong, wrong, he would watch
0: the way I breathe. But a lot of times he'd watch from behind a tree or a building, so I wouldn't know. And mm. then I would come home, and then, you know, how would break loose. And the word wrong, the word wrong was a word I heard every day. There is something wrong with me. I heard, He told me that daily. Uh, my mother put it in the form of a question. There's, She would say, what's wrong with you? But the word wrong was something I was told I was every single day growing up there. Um, I couldn't understand. I had an older brother who viewed me as I, I ruined his life because I excelled academically when he didn't. Athletically, I was just a natural-born athlete, whether it be Baseball, basketball, um, hockey, soccer, ping, uh, <laughs> ping pong, <laughs> you know, anything. Ow. People would say I was born with a, you know, a racket in my hand, tennis, right? We mentioned Billie mm. Jean King. And I made him look bad because he's the boy. And in my family, the boy is supposed to be smarter, more athletically inclined, and I was. And I was actually punished for bringing home good grades. Uh, at the end of the year, when my brother didn't, and he often did not. Uh, so what was confusing for me was, why would I be given be born with these talents if I wasn't meant to use them? It made no sense. right? It, uh, it I mean, why would I have these talents if I'm not um, meant uh, to use them? And um so it was very, very difficult. So between, I really thought that I should have been born a boy in that family. And at one point my father actually said, which was the worst thing to say in front of my brother, was that I should have been the boy. it I'll never forget when he said it, and my, my heart just fell because I thought, oh my God, what a horrible thing to say about me and in front of my brother and mm. to let you know how it all ended. So yes, I went on to get a, a PhD in psychology. I'm a published writer, I'm an award-winning author. Um, I left their home when I was 21, my mother said the only way I will leave uh, will be able to leave that home was by getting married. So I did get married. I just turned 21. Mm-hmm. The marriage lasted two years. It was not a good choice mm-hmm. at all, but at least I could say, "Okay, mom, Your ticket out. I got my right." It was my ticket out.
1: Hi, listeners. A quick interruption to tell you about a powerful tool I actually rediscovered after 15 years that will help you with stress, anxiety, and depression. I'm talking about the meditations from Health Journeys created by trauma expert, Bella Ruth Napperstack. When I had to have major surgery many years ago, I listened to these meditations and it was enormously helpful. Health Journeys Meditations are a little different than the -the run-of-the-mill meditations that you can find on apps. They're scientifically created and are used in over 3,000 hospitals. I highly recommend them and I use them myself. You can go to ZestfulAging.com or NicoleChristina.com and you will see a direct link I hope you find them helpful, and I'm interested in your experience. Now, back to the show. Um, Did you get validation? And I mean, I'm sure your teachers appreciated your abilities. Did you get validation from mentors, teachers, coaches saying, you know, you're... There, you're not wrong. In fact, you're you're quite right.
0: Uh, and... That's a very good question. And as a therapist, I know that the the there had there had to have been someone, right? Mm-hmm. There, right. We always think there had to have been someone. So, in early grades, grades one through five, yes, I was I was always in the top class in those grades, um, one through five. I wasn't necessarily the smartest, but yeah, um, I was always in the top grade, and. Uh, but then I went to middle school and that was horrible because I was bullied incessantly. But that's when I skipped a year. I was in the top class, uh, what we did in New York, uh, if you uh, based upon your national reading and math exams that you would mm-hmm. take, you know every year, if you scored a certain level or higher, yeah, which I did, I was put in a special program where we did we, we went through sixth, seventh, and eighth grade in two years. So I did that, but there was no support coming from my family. So in high school, I really didn't care. My parents wanted me to be a secretary, but not just any secretary, a secretary for the post office. My father spent 35 years in the post office. Uh, My mother was a civil servant. Uh, I had uncles who were in the post office, and they thought that would be a great job for me because I could type. And as my mother said, I'd work in an office where there's carpeting which mm-hmm. was a big deal to work with <laughs> Boy, as carpeting. what a in.
1: low bar she so, had. Oh, not, it not
0: only was a low bar, but oh. it was more than that. It was they didn't want me to do any better. They didn't want me to because my mother had me to take care of her. Uh, I don't know if you read Alice Miller's book, Drama of the Gifted Child.
1: I certainly did. Okay,
0: so that was the relationship with me and my mother. Even from the very beginning, when a mother holds her, her infant, her newborn, the way... If, if the mother wants the baby to be there for her, the way the mother looks into the baby's eyes, the way she holds the baby is a very different way than if the mother is to be protective of that baby. It was to be the reverse. And my mother was physically abused by my father, and I was her protector. I saved my allowance for her on a weekly basis, so she had money because she was afraid to go to my father. I was her protector. I was her parent. It's not a fair... It's not the role that a child should have growing up. And what happens when the people who are supposed to protect you are those you need protection from. Uh, So I did not have anyone in particular. Um, I was a voracious reader. Pippi Longstocking, I read... (laughs) My... <laughs> i
1: remember you that oh. you loved her spirit oh. and she was just oh. hanging out with her animals right
0: well but not only, she was on a desert island where she had to uh very independent where she had to get her own food right she had the mm. pet monkey she had to build her own shelter oh okay she had to protect herself from the cannibals on that island uh my my mother hated the fact that i read that book not that she didn't know what was inside the book but she just saw a woman a young, a girl with freckles, long red hair and pigtails, mm-hmm. you know, toothy smile with a pet monkey on a deserted island. He's like, No, I don't want my mother. <laughs> That's
1: not the direction she no. wanted you to no, go no, in. No, no. But the I grabbed, sassy yeah. sassiness was
0: not. The no, problem. that and to have the courage. No, that she wanted me to play with dolls and Barbie dolls, and I had no interest whatsoever. And uh, so, then at the age of twelve years old, something happened. I found Ms. Magazine, which spoke to me um Gloria Steinem Ms magazine I I would read through every page <laughs> over and over again but particularly the letters to the editor at the beginning of the magazine were written by other women and girls around the country who felt like I did and so for the first time in my life I knew I was not alone I knew I was not alone, and you know the feeling for the first time when you know you're not mm. alone is is the freedom. I didn't have to meet these these women in person just to know they were they were out there. And mm-hmm. before that, I read a lot of Virginia Woolf, and the book which made a big impact was A Room of One's Own. Mm-hmm. The importance of um, having your own room to write and to have your own money. <laughs> and that hit me and i always kept my career going throughout even being married a second time and having kids in fact i was the main income earner i had a very successful magazine publishing magazine publishing business that i started but everyone i met with thought i I then brought my ex-husband into the business and they all thought it was his business or Mm -hmm. it was a family-run business and i would say no i mean my card would say founder And present, and they still ask, but isn't this a family we're in business? No. no. Are you sure? Am I sure? Uh, Yes, I'm pretty sure. Um, And they would look at me, men particularly. And then after all, they say, well, I'm I'm so proud as if they're my father. I mean, these are clients. I'm so proud of you or I'm so impressed. Uh, but still with some trepidation that this really can't be, because one of the magazines I published was a real estate development magazine, which is a very male dominated industry. So how could a woman do this? And I don't know if I can say this on, uh, you can, you can edit it out, but I would say to them, you don't need a penis uh-huh. to, to run a magazine. You know, it's, it's not a necessary requirement, uh, <laughs> but so, oh, but still to this day, st- but Running Women's E-News, of course, now I'm in the feminist activist community, so I don't get that anymore. But when I'm out socially, I was out a couple of uh, years ago at a dinner party, and there was a white straight male there. I'm not around white straight men a lot, which I have to say is very pleasurable, (laughs) because Uh I'm not questioned then about... uh, my success that much or how did it happen and my orientation i came out as gay at, at the age of 49 mm-hmm. um, and i have heard men who try to flirt with me and who don't know that i'm gay and when i tell them i am these are the types of reactions i get what a shame mm. yeah wow. um uh, that or that's a shame or uh, what a loss or and then, of course, can I join you? It's just so disgusting. And mm. they can't, um, that sense of entitlement um, mm. is it, just, you know, <laughs> does a woman go to a gay man? I mean, we may say, yes, that man's gorgeous. Of course, he's mm. gay. But we're not going to say, what a shame or mm. to him or, you know, can oh, I join you? We gosh. don't do that. We have respect. Uh, so, anyway, uh, so, yes. I, so there I am at the student party and this man asks me, what I do for a living. So I, I tell him, and it was before I joined, it was, I don't know if I joined Women's News yet, but I was writing for the Huffington Post at the time. So my card said PhD and writer for the Huffington Post. Mm-hmm. And the man looks at me and the card and he says, wait, you're, you have a PhD and you write for the Huffington Post? He says, this card isn't real, is it? Oh. And I said, who walks around with a fake business card? Is <laughs> like...
1: The cognitive dissonance. So, he just couldn't do that in his head.
0: And he um, didn't talk to me the rest of the night. We sat down at dinner. There were maybe six of us. He would not talk to me. Uh, so I, I continually, yes, I continually get this. And um, it's why I feel, so my book is about, and I, I'm not, man bashing here, it's the patriarchy that I'm, you know, that we have to understand that the patriarchy does not help men either. You know, we, mm-hmm. we know, for example, that uh, due to the patriarchal uh, views and cultural norms in the US and other countries where patriarchy exists, which is in just about every country to varying degrees, um, it it negatively impacts men in terms of their ability to show emotion, right, to cry. Mm-hmm to show sensitivity, to show compassion, to show, um, um, empathy, et cetera, to be introspective. Right. Um, and, and so the stress that it adds to men who are, who feel they, they cannot demonstrate these, um, these natural human emotions, shows in the death rate of men and heart attacks and strokes etc.
1: Oh how interesting. Of course,
0: right? I mean men live don't live as long as women. Uh, mm-hmm. they they are more impacted by heart attack and stroke because imagine if you if you had to um you know, you weren't allowed to just act react normally to mm-hmm. a situation if you wanted to cry, right? Um it's that's why we have tears <laughs> men have <laughs> tears 40? as well as women it's it's really mm-hmm. detrimental to everybody and uh, let's not get into you know equal pay the fact that women in the u.s as many and in many countries do not have equal pay and we're talking about white women i think it's 80 something cents to the dollar but then if you look at women of color right black women and latina women it's even lower in comparison to white men well Would any, you know, husband, if we're looking at heterosexual couples, say, no, I don't want another 20% of income coming into my family, or I don't want another 50% of income coming in. But this is what is happening by women not having equal pay. I mean, it would help everybody. Men would not have to feel the burden of being the primary income earner, which we know. That's interesting. I
1: hadn't hadn't heard that particular... point before, you cover a lot of crucial issues impacting um, women and girls. Are there any in particular that are closest to your heart?
0: I would say every one of them, every one of them is, uh, well, clearly domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to uh, children, you know, Young girls, uh, yes. I go back there to me being a little girl. You know, we have no control over what families we're born into, right? Um, For those who are fortunate enough to have been born into families where they they receive unconditional love, whether it be from one parent or both, whether they are, if they are supported for who they are, not based upon their gender, but what their what their uh, talents are, as well as what their challenges are, and have parents who understand and support them in um, resolving those challenges—that that's beautiful. They're very, very—it's all luck. Uh, it's luck whether you're born into families like that. Good luck and bad luck if you're not. The only thing—the only thing we can do is when we're old enough to have control over how we then raise our children, if we do have children, uh, to be different and. And I have to say the best uh, comeback I have is that when I raise my children, I have two, one's a 31-year-old boy and the other is a 27-year-old girl, is that I brought them up in a family completely opposite from the one that I had. Mm-hmm. And that is the best payback to be mm-hmm. able to do that. Um, the person who told me, who recommended I write the book that I did was Gloria Steinem. She said, I, you know, I should write a memoir. because she knew, I mean, I've known her personally for about a dozen years. And uh, a couple of years ago, I actually sat in her home. I was part of a writer's group with her (laughs) that met in her home every few weeks for uh, a number of months um, a few years ago. And then I went to meet with her whenever I have a really pressing problem. Uh, she's wonderful she always uh, takes the time to meet with me particularly you know she lives in New York as well primarily and I met with her during the midterm elections of 2018 because I wanted to talk to her about how women's e News as we said it's a global women's news organization that and it's the only one a non that reports on the most crucial issues impacting women and girls around the world and I wanted to create a series to get People out to vote, right, in the U.S. Um, because the midterm elections were coming up. And we saw what happened with the first two years of having not only a Republican president like Trump, but a Republican-run Senate and House to make sure people got out to vote. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. And then I told her more about my family. She knew about it to some degree, but not to the extent and to have like an hour and a half with Gloria Stein, I'm just one-on-one is a rare, you know, (laughs) opportunity. So I, uh, I've had her here and there, you know, from, you know, we've had lunch many times, but it's never been just us. So, uh, and when I told him more, as I was leaving, he said, Lori, you know, you need to write a memoir because there's so many other women and girls who are living in similar environments abusive environments, and they need Mm -hmm. to know, because not only did I survive, but I triumphed, and -hmm. they need to know that they're capable of doing so as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's when I, I went to Guatemala, it's a long story, like a year later, and uh, started writing my book there at a writer's retreat. But I didn't write, it's not the full memoir about me, it's again about me and then these 30 other women from all over the world, from, you know, you saw Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And from um, England and um, so many different continents. And each one, although they have different stories, one opened up a hospital in her name, right, in Somaliland, Edna Dhan who, who, <laughs> um, to, to put an end not only to FGM, which she was a victim of, but since Somaliland had the highest... Uh, maternal mortality rate to train female doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to and and the F, and the mortality rate has been significantly lowered since she opened her hospital. She's an amazing woman. She's in her early eighties. You know, to Lima Bowie, who won a Nobel Peace Prize for leading the the uprising in Liberia mm-hmm. to get rid of that pre- the the head of the, the president of that country at the time, and she said that i asked her how did you get the courage you and banding together a group of women who had no money right no power to overthrow the government and her response was laurie when your only other choice is death uh-huh. which was their only other choice they had no choice it was either death or doing that uh-huh. uh, <laughs> there are some of these stories of other women who uh, fighting for anti-trafficking laws. Um, I even Sarah Ferguson, the former Duchess of York. We had a mm-hmm. great conversation. Who we, most people would not think was a feminist, but she was also a victim of bullying. You know about her weight,
1: mm-hmm. and she came
0: to terms with that in a way that everybody can learn from. In whatever their challenges are, because patriarchal societies put such pressure on women to look a certain way, mm-hmm. and girls to look a certain way from a very, very early age to ambassadors, you know, who uh, went to uh, Bosnia and reported on, you know, what's happening there and how uh, women overthrew the government there. It's, uh, and, but the common thread among all these women, including myself, is that we used the qualities that patriarchal societies view as being soft and weak because they're f- considered feminine, like mm-hmm. I spoke about originally. Compassion, empathy, mm-hmm. introspection, kindness, right? Uh, they are actually the qualities that save lives, save communities, save f- families, and save countries and our planet. okay? Mm-hmm. It's not the qualities that patriarchal societies see as being, you know, hyper-masculine and, uh, and who then, you know... Uh, create wars with killings of innocent people. It takes courage to do what these women have done. And I finished this book. And if we want any further examples of this, I finished this book in February of 2020, right when, right before COVID pandemic was, you know, it was building and then it became global and most of the world shut down, right? So now if we looked at those countries run by women versus those run by hyper-masculine males. Let's see the results by women. Let's look at New Zealand, right? Let's Mm -hmm. look at Iceland. Let's look at Taiwan, which was right in close proximity to China where COVID-19 first developed. If we look at these countries run by women and how they handled COVID, they were more successful at minimizing the and Germany, impact. and Germany, a major country, right, um, major power. How they were able to more effectively control the impact of of the pandemic versus those countries that were war- run by hypermasculine males. And let's look at mm-hmm. the USA, but on Trump's watch, right, over over mm-hmm. five hundred thousand, because he was afraid that it was going to ruin his reelection hopes. And of course, since the COVID was first uh, killing people in democratic states, they didn't care, because Mm -hmm. fewer democratic voters, so they might as well die, right. And I'm being very, I'm very honest and direct about this, because that's exactly what happened. He called it a hoax. And um, he's tried to strong arm the virus away. Well, you know what, that doesn't work. The virus (laughs) um, is not afraid of Trump, Republicans, white patriarchy, supremacy, any of that, as we saw. Uh, Look at uh, Brazil, also run by a hypermasculine male, which also Mm -hmm. suffered one another country that suffered more than UK as well. The UK. Thank you. Exactly. The UK and Russia, all run by four hypermasculine males who refused to acknowledge that this pandemic was going to kill millions of people in their own countries as well. They were afraid of it. So you see, hypermasculinity denotes fear. Right. That's the, that if, if nothing shut us during the coronavirus pandemic, it denotes fear being hyper masculine. It's to cover up one's insecurities and mm-hmm. fragilities. Mm-hmm. Those women who use compassion and introspection and kindness, you know, uh, Cindy Arland from New Zealand, she faced it head on and she mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. spoke to children. About it, right? Uh, she was on television there, speaking to children, saying, "I understand your fears." Right? She did not shy away from fear. She acknowledged the fear, saying, "It's okay to be afraid." Mm-hmm. And now, this is what we can do to reduce uh, the the um, probability that you will be, your health will be affected. You see, so once. You acknowledge the fear. It's actually courageous. And then it gives you you agency and more control over what to do about it, to keep yourself safe and your loved ones safe, right? Mm -hmm. That is the difference. And so every woman in my book uses those qualities. And now if we can only get more men to (laughs) use those qualities to say it's okay, it's actually, it takes courage to, and yes, we do have men like that. I mean, here I am, I'm right now in Canada. We have, you know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who is uh-huh. certainly more, he's certainly not a hyper-masculine male, right? He acknowledges the importance and incorporates in his cabinet, right? So many women, uh, because we need a diversity of, uh, of, of people, gender, orientation, right? Race religion. Um, it's through having a diversity of uh, responses, of ways to deal with challenges that mm-hmm. we, ha- we, ha- we come out of it with our best results, right? When we only have the views <laughs> of one group of people, and which is primarily white men in so many countries, the, the way to combat, the way to, to deal with issues, whether it be a pandemic, or whether it be a, a military threat to one's country, or a terrorist attack, going back to Yacinda Arlen again,
1: mm-hmm. right? The attack
0: mm-hmm. on Muslims a few mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. ago. Oh, she did Church. not act out and respond out of hate for the Muslim people. The Christ Church massacre is what I'm referring to. She responded with compassion
1: Yes.
0: Instead of saying, we're going to round up, I don't know, almost, who knows what, what could have happened. She did not do that. What she did within three days is ban military-style assault mm-hmm. weapons, first of all. And then, right with, through compassion, empathy, she showed support for the Muslim community within her country. Instead of hatred, she reacted with love.
1: And I, uh, you talk about this, too, in the book, uh, The Global Warming Crisis, yeah, too. Uh, is how are we going to address this because the way it ha- has been addressed is not going to cut it.
0: Yes, and, and that is an example of, of uh, when greed and disrespect, uh, greed and, and money and power, uh, without regard for the earth... We are seeing the impact of it. We're witnessing it now in so many countries and continents around the globe. In the U.S., where we both, you know, are citizens, we see it in su- right now in some of the um, uh, some of the states in the U.S. are experiencing the highest level of heat, you know, up to one twenty degrees in the summer, whereas San Francisco, California, is going through a cold spell. I mean, this is, and but this has been happening for years and years. And I really believe, and we need to do this is, and finally we're starting to, is to go back to and understand and appreciate and acknowledge and respect the beliefs of indigenous communities and the way that they have always been in respecting our, our planet and the earth as one of the women in my book said, Diane Dillon Ridgely, she's a, a, an African-American woman, she said, we have to mother earth, mother as a verb, mm. okay? We have to mother earth. She has been here for us to provide us with all the natural resources upon mm. which to live, to find, to build shelter, to to eat, to drink water, etc., to grow crops, but through greed right we have neglected her and we are continuing to and indigenous peoples understand that we all interact humans and nature um animals right we all if you uh, if one animal type of animal goes extinct it affects every other mm-hmm. animal it affects yep. our earth right um, we see how in Galatians, some ways
1: we don't we can't even anticipate we don't right so complicated
0: right so it's having if we can go back to those teachings of indigenous people and understanding how we all um everything we do a daily basis from uh, the types of cups we use you know to get our morning coffee right to everything we do the trees we cut down right the oil um and how we mine for oil oh it's it's everywhere it's and we we've lost respect for that so this is what we are all experiencing glaciers are melting right um and this is probably the last generation today that is being born that um can help save us Mm -hmm. because after this generation we're really on the cusp of not being able to turn back not Mm -hmm. being able to and we may be there already we don't We don't know, but yes, it's also we have found women are more apt to be more conscious of how humans are impacting negatively impacting our environment. Mm -hmm. We we tend
1: relational. It's more you know the idea uh, that. Um, we have a relationship with the Earth. It's just yes. not a, a sort of a an endless supply of resources that we can exploit.
0: Exactly, exactly. And we've been exploiting these resources uh, tremendously, and now we're all paying the price. And uh, that was also viewed as not true. You know, the r- Republican. Um, I know in in the U.S. Republican. Uh, Committees and Senate, they continue to uh, push back against any kind of climate-related uh, preservation. It it is beyond. I I don't understand it. I don't. Oh, I, <laughs> people say to me, How? we don't understand why the Republican Senate and Republicans refuse to acknowledge facts, right?" acknowledge facts and how their own children and grandchildren are going to be Uh and are being impacted by this is greed power money more important Um, and now of course women's rights are also being turned back in terms of reproductive freedom Uh which is insane but that's how women's bodies are controlled Uh, you know i will not use the term i'll use it just this one term because it's a fallacy Uh, pro-life it is not about pro-life it is Mm -hmm. Mm pro-birth that we're we're there to protect the the unborn but once you were born you're on your own kid no Mm -hmm. no no child care no friendly funded child care no Mm -hmm. friendly funded health care and if you're born female well then your rights are even less than Mm -hmm. if so real i once wrote a piece about how females and males are only considered equal in the womb and then once they're out mm. of the room, you know, they're no longer, no longer equal, and uh, it's it's really problematic, and it's actually quite, quite terrifying. Uh, so that's why we need more women in office, which is occurring increasingly, in many countries, particularly the U.S. Uh, if we look at Rwanda, for example, and one of the women I interviewed, Ambassador Smadi Hunt, who was the ambassador to Austria, uh, under then president bill clinton rwanda now has a 63 percent um in in their parliament is 63 hmm. percent women wow and they're doing fabulously but you know they needed it to have an entire uprising to take mm-hmm. out the entire mm-hmm. government that existed then to then put a majority of women in office. I don't know if any other country really wants that to have to happen for women mm, woman to be, you know, right. uh, so let's not, um, the an entire, um, uprising to take, uh, the patriarchy out and they're doing, that country is doing fabulously. So, uh, can't we do it in the more civil, peaceful way so that all views are in the room when major mm-hmm. decisions are being made mm-hmm. about, uh, the population, particularly since, for example, in the U.S., more than 50% are women, we need to have women in the room making those mm-hmm. decisions. How could, how, mm-hmm. so, but it's happening, it's occurring more and more, you know, uh, in the U.S. Now the head of the uh, interior is an indigenous <laughs> yeah. woman, Deb Halland, which is absolutely fabulous. She is now going to look at uh, whether there were schools that indoctrinated, as in Canada, these mm-hmm. uh, residential schools horrible what is coming out about how these residential schools took children away from their parents to indoctrinate them into the western ways and so many of those children died and now their mm-hmm. unmarked graves are being yes. um, found so that's oh, gosh. uh but this has to have. we have to have a reckoning we have to have a reckoning mm-hmm. in terms of indigenous peoples in terms of People of color, black people, as you know, Black Lives Matter has, is having a reckoning, but it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's not enough. Uh, there is so much anti-Semitism throughout the world as well. And of course, anti-LGBTQ sentiments and killings, you know, people are being killed. Uh, I never forget, I'll never forget, I stood under the Javits Center. The, the biggest glass ceiling in the world is a Javits Center. And I was there that night. Uh, of the presidential election in 2016. And that was where Hillary Clinton was going to walk to the podium to Mm. accept becoming president, because every Mm. poll, everything showed. And certainly she was the, the only one of the two qualified. And I remember standing there under the glass ceiling. I was about 50 feet away from the podium, waiting, right? And then, of course, we see the numbers coming through, the numbers coming through. And when Donald Trump was declared president, there was a woman, we, we kind of got to know each other, the people standing there, you know, we had this <laughs> yeah. the people crying and everything. And this woman said to me, the first thing she said was, I'm Jewish. She said, I guess I'll now have to buy a gun to protect myself.
1: Um.
0: And the first thing I said to myself was, you know, the, the thing that terrifies me most, the worst thing that can happen is for innocent people to die. So what I said to myself when he was, named president, the first thing that came to my mind was that innocent people are going to die. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, I was thinking of the LGBT community specifically. But then, of course, and I wrote an article about this later, you know that Javits Center was then opened up when the pandemic in New York Mm -hmm. became became so significant and people, I mean, there were not enough hospital beds for people. The Javits Mm -hmm. Center became a place for people who were suffering from the virus to go to, and they opened up beds in the Javits Center, and that's where I thought you know, innocent people were going to die. Well, there it was. Oh, the, did I know there was going to be a pandemic? No. But And right. I wrote an article about it, actually, and it was published in Ms. Magazine, about exactly in that building where I was terrified. I thought innocent people were going to die. There, people were dying no wow. more than two years oh. later.
1: That's right. You just ne- You just didn't know how, how or what uh, right. but ha- how it was going to go. But yeah, that was an example. So, Lori, where can people find out more about your work and Women's E News and your book?
0: Okay, well, we can start off with the book. Uh, it has mm-hmm. its own website, and it's uh, sheismebook.com, mm-hmm. Okay, and mm-hmm. they can read. Uh, learn all about the woman um, each chapter starts off with a quote mm-hmm. from each woman that I think is the most um, uh, well not only direct but the most interesting and uh, powerful quote from each woman so each of their quotes is on that website they can learn more about their website uh, each of those women as well where to order there is a book trailer about me as a young girl and what led me to uh, write this book and how important my writing was for me and then they can order the book on the website as well and there are interviews uh, about me and the book on that website as well so that's sheismebook.com and then mm-hmm. women's and then women's e-news we are a non so the website is org. it's mm-hmm. f- it's free to subscribe we've always mm-hmm. been free we're in our 21st year mm-hmm. and oh, you will goodness. find information we we have writers journalists for Located in some of the most dangerous parts of the world for women and girls, and we provide exclusive content Everything reporting on everything from child marriage to sex trafficking to FGM to domestic violence All over the world LGBTQ trans women, etc Our point is to influence public policy By reporting on the truth because most of our subscribers are activists and journalists from mainstream media so we feed oh. out to them so our content not unlike an Associated Press or a UPI we provide them with exclusive content that they don't get anywhere else about women and girls and then we've been picked up from everywhere from the New York Times to um, you know MSNBC CNN mm-hmm. uh, and even and community newspapers as well we say we've been picked up in everywhere from New York to New Delhi and everywhere in between uh, mm-hmm. uh, so that's a, where you will wow. find
1: accomplishment
0: you it's so hard people say what's real news and what isn't well I always say go to a nonprofit organization's news site because we are not paid we do not receive money from any corporate interests so all our reporting is truthful and mm-hmm. transparent so women we are a non-profit and therefore there's no question that all the news we provide is that's is so factual. Important. And there's Somewhere. no other new site that, that does this. So please subscribe. And uh, we also just started a podcast on Indigenous women leaders where we have Indigenous female journalists interviewing them as regarding their biggest challenges, their biggest triumphs, both in the U.S. and in Canada. And we hope to uh, expand in other parts of the world as well so you can find that new podcast um, on Woman Z News as well
1: excellent excellent Lori sokol thank you so much for spending time with me today and and talking about these massively important issues i really appreciate your dedication and your passion and all that you're doing
0: well thank you nicole and thank you for creating this platform for those like us to discuss what we're doing, how we're doing it, and so that others can learn as well what they can do within their own homes, their communities, states, countries, provinces, etc. Again, there's no small, there's no act that's too small mm-hmm. to help someone else. Kindness goes a very, very long way. Mm-hmm. Just, just picture yourself when someone does something kind for you; it makes a big difference. So, hopefully, a- um, this is only the beginning. That's that is beautiful. Thank you again, Nicole.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff.